Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors and the stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. In 2020, they created Friends in Fiction to provide author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Everyone, welcome to our weekly Wednesday evening show where we explore the world behind your favorite books. We are so glad you're here. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Patty Callahan Henry. And I'm Mary Alice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's for the blooper tape. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. <laughs> what? And this is Friends in Fiction, a handful what? of New York Times. Best-selling authors with identity crises in this process. Endless stories, all to support independent booksellers. Tonight, you'll meet Darren Kagan and Paula Ferris, and possibly Mary Alice Monroe and Andrews. I don't know. <laughs> but Darren and Paula, two women you may feel like you already know, because chances are they've been on your television more times than you can count. Darren used to be the main anchor on CNN, where she worked for 12 years. And Paula was on The View and Good Morning America weekend and continues to be a correspondent for ABC News. Both have books out now, and both have found new and perhaps surprising roads to joy where they least expected to. We'll talk to both women about their careers and about their books, Darren's Hope Possible and Paula's Called Out. And we'll also speak to them about finding joy in the journey. But first, we wanna share something with you that we are starting to do a bit differently. If you've tuned in before, you might know that we have a featured book store of the week every week since our very first episode in April of 2020. Well, from now on, we'll be asking our guests to tell you about their favorite stores. And from time to time, we'll highlight our own favorite indies. But each week, instead of offering you 10% off at the store of the week, we will be updating our own bookshop.org shop, where you'll get a built-in discount on most books and where a portion of your purchase will go to help independent bookstores nationwide. And of course, we encourage you to support your own local stores too. It is so important to shop local wherever you are because bookstores are such a vital part of our communities across the nation and across the world. So if you have a bookstore in your area, make sure to support them so that their doors can stay open. Absolutely. And, you know, let's be honest, all of us shop at big stores, too. We love it when Target and Walmart and Costco stock our books. And we're thrilled that you can grab a novel at the same time you're picking up your milk and eggs. <laughs> and ordering online is easy. We do it. We just ask that when you're thinking about how to spend your money in a way that does some good, you keep your local bookstores in mind, too. Because when you shop there, when you shop local, even if it costs a few dollars more, your money is going straight back into your community. 
Well, speaking of buying books at all these fabulous bookstores, we have a special treat for you this evening. It is time to tell you about our guests, Darren Kagan and Paula Ferris. (laughs) I'm still spaced out. Okay. Well, Darren was an anchor on CNN for 12 years. During her time at CNN, she reported on presidential elections Travel to Africa with musician Bono. Is it Bono or Bono? I never know. Bono? Bono. 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 This is how you know I'm old. To report on AIDS and famine. And she reported live from the red carpet of several Academy Award ceremonies. She is one of only a few national news anchors who were live on the air during the morning of September 11, 2001. That's incredible. After leaving the network in 2006, she launched DarrenKagan.com, which if you haven't been to, you must, which focuses on uplifting and positive news and extended her content to documentaries, radio, and books. She has given a TED Talk about how to watch the news and get inspired, and she has also contributed to CBS Sunday Morning. Darren's PBS film, Breaking the Curse, won the 2008 Gracie Award for Outstanding Documentary. She also recently released a book, Hope Possible, a network news anchor's thoughts on losing her job, finding love, a new career, and my dog, always my dog, which we'll be talking to her about tonight. Darren lives in Georgia with her husband, and she has two young adult daughters. Now, Paula Ferris spent over two decades in broadcast journalism, including nine years at ABC News, where she co-anchored Good Morning America Weekend, co-hosted The View, and launched Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris. The Emmy Award-winning journalist has reported on everything from politics to entertainment to sports, and she's interviewed high-profile people such as Joe Biden, i.e. the president. <laughs> <laughs> You're Tom, on it tonight, I've, I've girl. Him. I've heard of him. Yeah. On it. Tom Hanks, i.e. Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> And Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Paula recently released her first book, Called Out, Why I Traded Two Dream Jobs for a Life of True Calling, which explores the events that led her to make a change in her career and allowed her to discover who she was outside of her work. She also hosts the Paula Ferris Faith and Calling podcast. Paula is a graduate of Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio, and currently lives in South Carolina with her husband, John, and their three kids. You know, both women reached the height of their careers and then took a left turn into what I like to think of as the beginning of happily ever after. Mm. In other words, you know, I think the lesson we're so often taught is that we have to work, work, work for years and years and years, always striving for the next big thing. But both Darren and Paula said enough. They stepped off the merry-go-round. They took control of their destinies and they found incredible ways to bring good into both their own lives and into the world at large. So Sean, can you bring Darren and Paula on please? Hi, Hi, ladies. Hi, ladies. Welcome. It's so wonderful to have the two of you here. So good to be with you. It's great to be with you. And Darren, apparently we're not that far apart from one another. You're in the in Georgia and I'm in South Carolina. So we probably should have done this together tonight, but we're just yes. not realizing that. <laughs> so it's just, that's asking for a future girl date, I think. I love that. Yes. Exactly. Great check. Right. Wait, yes. hello. Did, oh, are they having yes. a party without us? I know. I want to come. 
Not in North Carolina. Yeah, well, one big Southern party, I think, when you got That was a given, ladies. That was a given. You were the connectors. Thank you, Paula. So, yeah. Phew. I thought they were running off together. Goodness. (laughs) So, ladies, we're going to talk about your amazing books in just a moment. But first, we want to start off and start talking about the 20th anniversary of September 11th, which is only three days from now. I just, 20 years. Mm, Wow. Because the two of you were both working as journalists on that fateful day in 2001. Darren, Kristen's Mm -hmm. essay this week for Parade Magazine was Mm -hmm. actually about your journey. Did you read it? I did. So moving. Such a beautiful piece. I I read things like that and go, oh, I want to be her. I'm like, oh, that was her. I want to feel like what it should feel like to get that grand experience. So thank you, friends. It, it was piece. so moving. I've read it yeah. a couple of times. So for me, that yeah. day, I remember, everybody has that memory, right? I would just dropped off my two oldest at elementary school, mm-hmm. and I was at the gym. And most people listening to this don't believe that. But I was at the gym. I know this is shocking news, but it was 20 years ago. And I was with my three-year-old, who is now 23. And I saw this second plane hit live on the gym's TV over Mm -hmm. over the screen. And everything in that room stopped. Everyone stood stock still. Nobody knew what to say. It was this really eerie silence. And I ran, total mother's instinct, and I grabbed my three-year-old from the little nursery and went to my friend Susan's house. I was in Atlanta at the time to watch the news. And we stayed there all day, horrified and knowing, I kept saying, this is a before and after in our lives. This Mm. is a before and after. It is. And it ended up being very true. It was a before and after. So Darren, can you Mm -hmm. tell us a bit about what you remember from that morning 20 years ago? So when the first plane hit, um, this well, Paula knows how this works. This was like 15 minutes before my co-anchor, Leon Harris and I are about to go on the air. Um, So we were in the makeup room, which is where nice little news anchors go right before they go on the air. And one of the producers popped in and said, hey, this thing's happening in New York turn up the volume on the monitors in here. I think you need to watch. And at that point, if we can dial back our memories, when that first plane hit, I don't think it was within the thought of any of us that that was anything possibly more than like a private plane, a small private plane that was a long way. Yes, 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 certainly an accident. Um, And then Leah and I um, sat down, the first anchors moved out, and we were interviewing aviation experts. I mean, you just kind of go... CNN is made for this kind of breaking news. And so there's just kind of a thing that you do and they call on experts and you interview them while there is a live feed of what's going on. So we were on the air interviewing this aviation expert when we watched the second plane go into that second tower, um, which was the point, I believe, where the world shifted, where we realized Mm. this was something different, bigger, and the world was never really the same. That's right. You're yeah, right. you know, I remember I was at home writing in a little backyard hut that was my office at the time. And my memory is hazy about how I found out. But I know that I stopped working and I was glued to the television the rest of the morning. I called my husband at work because that was my instinct. Even though I knew it had happened in New York and then D.C., my instinct was to call my husband to make sure 
he was was okay. okay. And, you know, it was one of those days when I missed my old life as a newspaper reporter of being part of a breaking news story. And, you know, in our after show tonight, we're going to be expanding a little bit more on our personal memories. And we're going to bring you our managing director, Meg Walker, and she's going to share her story because she was pregnant with her daughter, Grace, and she was commuting in by train from New Jersey to lower Manhattan when the Mm. first plane hit. And you are going to want to stick around for the rest of that harrowing tale. But now, Paula, tell us about your experience. You were working at a TV station in Dayton at the time. Is that correct? I actually, ladies, this is really interesting because this was such a pivotal moment for me personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. Pivotal just culturally. I, I, We all, as you said, Patty, we all remember exactly where we were. I was also working out in in Dayton, Ohio, uh, newly no married. We were married about a year. I was working in radio sales at the time. So mm-hmm. I got a degree in broadcast communications. I emphasized in television production. I'd been out of school about four years. I really felt this burning to get back into television news. I had interned. I had most of my experience. That's really where my heart was, but I allowed my fears to paralyze me. And I still remember watching the coverage. I watched NBC all day and I was so gripped by the coverage that I told my husband, I said, this is it. This is the moment where I need to get back into television news. So I quit my job wow. like a couple of days later. I was making as a 25 year old, I was um, I was making probably $50,000 at, at the time wow. and radio sales. You guys, I was crushing it, but I just I had this burning desire. Wow. I had to stop out. I, I couldn't run away from it any longer, this dream. I had to really press into my fear. So I quit my job and um, I handed my resume out uh, to all of the local television stations in Dayton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. I substitute taught for a while just to pay the bills before I got a job. And I got hired to be a production assistant, making seven bucks an hour at the um, dual affiliate station in Dayton, Ohio. So I started down here, but because I knew how to shoot and edit and and produce and write because that was my background. I was able to, um, pre- I presented the news director probably about four months after I was there. I said, hey, I put this tape together. Can you just take a look at it? I wasn't expecting for him to put me on the air because I was just a lowly PA. Um, but he liked what he saw. He knew that I could what we call one man band in the business so we can do all of it. And um, he put me on the air and that's really, but 9-11 for me, yes, culturally, um, you know, it's a moment that's so pivotal. But for me, that was the moment I decided to to press into my fear and go for this, this thing on my heart. Um, Paula Mm -hmm. and uh, Mary Kay, as a former newspaper reporter, you actually are talking about something that's kind of like their dirty, not the dirty little secret, but the thing that we don't really talk about as journalists in public. And that is on the big day, that is where you want to be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's this dichotomy of yeah. this is horrible, yeah. right? But get out of my way because it's my story. Yeah. <laughs> and the fire bell. The fire it. bell yeah. is the fire bell is going yeah. off. Yeah. At that point, I'd been out of newspapers for ten years, but the fire bell was still going off, and I was still thinking, "How yeah. could I muscle my way into this story?" Yeah. <laughs> right. yes. Five minutes. That's a challenge. And Darren, you bring that up. And yeah, I, I, nothing made me feel more alive, you know, in my 20 years of broadcasting than being on the scene and chasing breaking news. But it's also reconciling the fact that I want to be the first on the air or I want to get this story, but but not becoming callous to, to human emotions, right. yeah. you know. Yeah. So that was all that was one of the big struggles with with me. And Darren, you might feel the same way, seeing the absolute best in people on a daily basis 
basis, but also the absolute worst. Um, in some ways, you have to protect yourself from that because otherwise it can affect you in so many, so many negative ways. So it's, it's almost a, de- a defense mechanism to protect yourself. But then at the same time, like I didn't want to become callous to human emotions. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a, a delicate balance that I was always trying to, to, to find. Wow. That is um, so interesting that you took that and, you know, really made this incredible change in your life. Um, I was in high school. So um, I was, I remember like coming out, I mean, I was in geometry and I, this is so bizarre. Like I remember so well, I guess everyone remembers so well, but I was like standing by my locker talking to my best friend about what we were going to wear to homecoming. Like that's what we were talking about. Mm. And her boyfriend came up and said, Oh, this is super weird. I just heard that this little plane or helicopter or something um, hit one of the twin towers. And we were like, Oh, weird. And we kind of brushed it off. But I remember having this really weird feeling about it. And actually, instead of going to my next class, I went into the library and we had these huge TVs in our library that were like running the news all the time. And I was standing in the library completely by myself when the second plane hit, which was really crazy. And I don't know how, like, I mean, no one would have even known I was in there, but I remember for some reason, like that my boyfriend at the time coming in the library where I was standing and he was like, come on, we're leaving. We're going home. Mm. And, um, and I mean, I would never have left school, but you were so shell shocked about like what is going on and what's happening in the world. And, um, and I think, you know, you know, all these things were happening and we were like, what's going to happen next. And you're right, Darren, about that before and after, like, I think Mm -hmm. especially as, you know, as a teenager, it was like that moment, it was like that last moment that you ever really felt like totally safe in the world. Because before that, the world was a completely safe place for me you know, as a 15 year old in my mind, I mean, in my mind it was, you know, like nothing that like that had ever happened before. So, um, anyway, it's just really hard to believe that it's been 20 years, but, um, you know, one of the things we'll talk about tonight, of course, is the joy that you've both found in reporting good and inspiring news. But over the course of your lives as journalists, you've had to report some really difficult things such as September 11th and its aftermath. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes we forget that as Darren said in Kristen's parade article today, the people in front of the camera have their own stories too. Darren, I know that a couple years after Mm -hmm. September 11th, you wound up as a war correspondent in Kuwait. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear from both of you what it's like to um, report difficult news when you're struggling with your own worries or fears or feelings about that news. So Darren, could you start us off? So when um, you talk about when the U.S. was going to in- invade Kuwait, I mean, go, yeah, in, or just, uh, Iraq, just in sorry, general, I mean, how well, it is, you know, when you're so, um, for me, I would say, um, well, at the time, again, I was chasing the big story. If we were going to war, I wanted to go to war. Um, kind of funny side thing. I was also the one who covered the Oscars. So I had to go to New York and have a gown. St- I had two things going. Either we were going to go to war and I had my go bag or I had my gown that's no <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my word. Yeah. To position. Yes. So I had both. What are you going to wear? I had both things uh-huh. ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly with war now, um, uh, another personal thing, um, as we were, you know, they don't just send you to war. They send you to war school. There's a lot of training. There's a lot of thought that goes in it. Um, I was single at the time. I consulted with my brother and sister. We decided we were not going to tell our parents that this was going to happen. Um, it happened when they were both having big health struggles. My dad was in one hospital in Los Angeles and my mom had been diagnosed with breast cancer and she was having surgery the next day at another hospital. 
And we went to visit my dad and we were downstairs in the cafeteria and um, something came on one of the monitors about, you know, potential war. And she just looked at me like, you know, how a mother knows. Yeah. And she just said, she's like, you're going, aren't you? And I said, well, Pat, I just fessed up. Like I've been caught blowing curfew or something. And like, so where's this moment? So my mother's going to breast cancer surgery. My dad's upstairs, very sick. Yeah. And my mother looked at me and she said, so what are you going to wear? <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> and so my mom was always about how you dress, right? And she's like, well, what are the ladies wearing to war these days? Like, she's like, we're, we're going shopping. We're going shopping. I'm like, what? Dad's upstairs in the hospital. You're having breast cancer and we're going shopping? Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she said, I can't control what happens to him. And I right. can't control what happens in my surgery. But I'll be damned if I'm not going to control how my kid looks on international TV. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Too much. That's so that's cool. what we did. We went shopping. Got a great, I mean, it was always about what you were going to wear. So yeah, that's, yeah. My, that's my memory of that was what was important at that moment. Uh-huh. Yes, totally. That. Yeah. totally. So, Paula, what about you? I mean, yep. what's it like to report that difficult news while you're juggling your own feelings? I, you know, I think the, the stories that were hardest for me to report on, you know, Newtown. Um, I, I, and I distinctly mm. remember doing this interview for 2020 and Nightline and Good Morning America. And I had to to fly to, um, I believe it was North Carolina, to, to interview these parents whose daughter had been brutally murdered by the husband. And the stories that always got me were the ones where a parent was losing a child. Um, And and Darren can testify to this, um, how difficult it is, I think, to be a working mom. But to be a working mom in television is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as Darren says, you you have to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Um, And so there's a lot of personal sacrifice involved Uh, at, at one one moment that I can really recall was I was pregnant with my third child and this was in 2014, 2013. And ABC asked me to go cover the world cup in Brazil. And I knew that it'd be gone about four to five weeks and I'm doing Mm -hmm. the math and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have a three or four month old and I've got, my other kids are six and four and I have to leave them for over a month, but also feeling this pull, like, well, this is part of the job. I don't want somebody else to take my job. So it's it was that the hard part for me was trying to do my job and also at the same time reconciling that I have a young family. So what I what I ended up doing is I I said I'll go, um, but I want to take my newborn with me because I was nursing him, you know. Yeah. So here I am flying. I used to have these pictures. I, I left my older two back with my husband, which is really hard to be away from your kids for you know over four weeks. Um, but I was nursing him. I hired a nanny down there who I'd never met you guys like looking back on it I'm like what did I do and I'm I'm in based in Rio and the World Cup is different than let's say the Olympics because at the, for the Olympics all of the sports take place in one city when you're at the World Cup they're in the same country but Brazil's a big country so yeah. I'm here here I am nursing I'm like can you guys ship back some breastfeeding bags I ran out um, like to Brazil because I would ha- I would have to leave my baby with the nanny for like three four days at a time to go oh cover God. a, a, a match with team USA. And it was just that that was, you know, covering stories, but the personal effects with, you know, juggling all of that with motherhood was really, that was uh, always a struggle for me. But, but, but the, in terms of editorially, the the stories that were toughest to cover always were those of parents just tragically losing a child. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to contain, I, I, 
cry during interviews maybe twice. And um, it's hard to contain your emotions when you, you know, no parent should have to bury a child, truly. But when you talk about it like that, and you too, Darren, both of you, it reminds me of when I was a nurse, right? Mm -hmm. You you don't want to become callous, but you also want to be there for the harder cases so Mm -hmm. that you can help. So there's always this put, and it was always the kids that did us in. Why do we, and the thing is like, what, that sucks. Why do women have to choose between a career and having kids? You know, it's like everything kind of happens at the same time. I just think that's, it's, it's not right. And things need to change in society. And uh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to choose between those two. We, we really shouldn't. But yep. sorry, I didn't mean For to go me, off on a tangent. No, that's right. <laughs> we've talked, we've all talked about it before. Yeah. And we've talked on the show about how we juggled it when the kids were little and what did we do? And what about book tour? And what about mm-hmm. you when Kathy, when Mary Kay was a um, reporter and working full time. So we've, we've all, we've talked about it so many times, Yeah. yeah. but now I want to talk about your books. So oh. <laughs> you have both. Excellent transition, Patty. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well That's done. Just turned right over the bridge there. So before we fell down that rabbit hole. So Paula, you know how much I loved your book. I remember oh, the night you. you handed it to me in your house in South Carolina and said, be honest when you read it. And of course, I texted you within days. But I love the opening scene in your book, which is so powerful. You walk us through your meeting with ABC News President James Goldston, where you tell him over a meal Mm -hmm. that you need to take a step back from the on-air jobs you had at the time. Mm -hmm. In your writing, you describe your sweaty palms, how nervous you were, how he he was not expecting it, and you were about to tell him that you needed to take this step back. And the jobs were what all of us would consider dream jobs at the pinnacle of a journalism career. So can you tell us a little bit about that meeting and your book called out Mm -hmm. and what does called out mean in this context? Right. Well, Pat, you have to say that you like the book because I'm best friends with your sister, Jeannie. So um, <laughs> I still would be- don't have to say it. I can stay. <laughs> <laughs> um, called out. It's named called out because I feel like I was called out of a space where I, I think my personal values had started to clash with the choices that I was making. And I, I the, the opening scene, the first line of the book is there's no rational way to kill your career. And that's what I really felt like I was doing. And I can't remember which of you said it at the very beginning, um, you know, with Darren and I, and we're both doing much different things now. Um, but, you know, you reach a point where we all kind of reach a point, this pinnacle of our career, and we think it's going to look one way, and it really doesn't. Um, and I, you know, it's that it's that old adage of what good is it for a man or a woman to lose her soul, you know, to gain the world, but to lose her soul in the process. And I, I felt like that. I had these dream jobs. I was anchoring Good Morning America weekends. I was co-hosting The View. I mean, I was, uh, you know, the sky was the limit for me. Um, and I just looked around and I was like, at what cost, you know? Yeah. And, and um, I really felt this guttural instinct. Um, I'm a person of deep faith that I was supposed to take a step back at the height of my career. So that's where this, the, this, the book opens with these 
these feelings that uh, knowing that I have this piece that I have to, I have to pump the brakes at the height of my career, but also this fear of like, what the hell am I doing? Uh, you know, like wh- what, you know, I, I wasn't sure why, but I had to follow that piece in my spirit that this was the right thing for me and for my family. I, I, again, the values were clashing with the choices that I was making. Um, so I knew it was a decision that I, that had to be made, but I was still scared as hell to do it. <laughs> and you describe it so meaningfully, meaning, it's, it's that it's I, David White's one of my favorite poets. And he has this phrase about, let me be courageous in my terrors. And when I, when <laughs> so I, good. Like, is that so good? And that's when so you, good. and when you described that scene, I was like, that's how you're courageous in your terrors mm-hmm. right there. But what, tell us a little bit also <clears throat> about your podcast because okay. You started that just recently, right? I did. So yeah, we decided to blow up our lives completely. Uh, I left ABC in November of last year during the pandemic. And uh, not it, so when I pumped the brakes in 2018, that was my choice. And then last year um, during the pandemic, it wasn't totally my choice to leave ABC. So you know, sometimes change is our choice and sometimes it's not. But I, I say, thank God that I got what I needed and not what I wanted. It sent oh, us, wow. it, we ended up down in South Carolina where my sister is. And um, we are just exploring new seasons, new chapters. I had an opportunity um, that that was presented to me to do a podcast. And it, I'm in my, I mean, this is my podcast studio. It's really fancy mm-hmm. ladies. Um, but this is where I record podcasts. It's called the Faith and Calling Podcast, Paula Ferris Faith and Calling Podcast. And I talk to people about what they're called to do, who they're called to be. And, um, but it was, it was crazy. Again, going back to that piece that back in 2018, I, that piece in my spirit, I knew I had to pump the brakes. Um, the same thing happened when we came down for what we thought would be a couple of weeks in March of 2020 to South Carolina to visit my sister and my husband. And I just had this piece we were supposed to stay. We we're like, uh, wait, why? Like, and we had nothing, no financial net safety net. We didn't know why we were supposed to stay here, but we just had that piece and we, we, we stepped in and stepped into that, that, moment we stepped into that space of fear and terror and courage and as you said courage and terror and the doors just started opening um once we did and one of those um opportunities was the podcast um and what's really beautiful about it is it's allowed me you know to be a mom first to be able to take my kids to school I've never been able to do that I mean we let go of our nanny last summer I remember the day we did it I said kids <laughs> you're gonna have to figure mommy's gonna have to figure out how to mom on her own and I and so I've been like momming without a safety net um, but I'm, I've been able to put my kids first but also have these passion projects which it's been a real blessing for our family that's amazing yeah. That's so great. I can't wait mm-hmm. I'm gonna go subscribe to the podcast like, right <laughs> I know did you, did you cry it's really good nanny? When your nanny yeah. walked out, were you, were you hanging on to her ankles? Like, oh my gosh, we had so many nannies. Well, I no, I, I was kind of ready because I said I okay. gotta figure out if I, I, I was I gotta figure out if I can do this on my own because I have I've never yeah. mommed and and I don't mean that to and that's some people great. might think that that's snotty, but like I you know I worked um, a big job. I, I've worked and yeah. I had a job and but I was like I've got to mm-hmm. figure out if I can do this on my own. I really do. So I might be a crappy mom. Probably not. Yeah. Oh. oh my gosh. Well, that's awesome. So um, Darren, you were the morning anchor anchor. I love telling you about yourself. I'm gonna tell you about yourself a little bit <laughs> while you sit there and you can just listen and not okay. yes, thank you. 
So you were the morning anchor for CNN for a long time, and you had a 12-year career at the network where you did some truly amazing things. And then in 2006, you were told your contract wasn't going to be renewed. So as we talked about earlier, the shift away from what you were doing began a little while before that, inspired in part by what you'd witnessed on September 11th and by going to Kuwait as a war reporter after that. But when you left CNN, you suddenly had no job and realized you hadn't been married, you didn't have kids, and those were things that you really wanted. So essentially, you're at this moment in time when suddenly you realize that life didn't look the way you thought it would. So you realigned your priorities, and along the way, these pieces of your life began falling into place, a journey we experienced firsthand with you in the pages of your book, Hope Possible, which is subtitled, A Network News Anchor's Thoughts on Losing Her Job, Finding Love, A New Career, and My Dog. Always my Always dog. My dog. <laughs> Always my dog. It's the best subtitle ever. So can yeah. you tell us a bit about Hope Possible and about the impossibly happy life that you have now, which includes a husband and two young adult daughters? It does. Um, well, first of all, hats off to people like Paula who take things that they have wonderful things and let them go because that wasn't me. Um, I was shown the door. Uh, Nothing dramatic, just, um, you know, we're not going to renew your contract. And as Paula knows, usually when they say they're not going to renew your contract, you're out the door that day. With me, they called me in in January and said, well, your contract's not up for a year. We kind of like you to stay. We'll keep you on the air. I think we'll let you know. So every day I came to work for nine months. I didn't know if that was my last day. It's the place oh my that gosh. I spent, oh, wow. Uh, 12 years. So it was eventually the last day. Um, I left. I, you know, I could have, I mean, I guess as an inside baseball thing, Paula, like the thing that you would do then is like, you'd either then go shop to MSNBC or Fox or the other yeah, network. You talked to all the networks. Go back to local and none of it. I was like, you know what? It's going to end eventually. So what's mm-hmm. the thing? And I always loved uplifting and positive news. And so it was my little sister, as long as we're calling out sisters. Um, I tried <laughs> to sell the idea because I, I, I was not an entrepreneur. Um, I couldn't sell the idea. And it was my sister who said, what are you doing? Like, why are you giving this away? Start a website, launch a company and do it. Do um, it. And that was one of the benefits of being single. You know, there was no husband or kids or anyone to consider. And I had pretty much banked my last contract at CNN. So I just financed my own company um, and started doing that and, and did that for, and tell me when I've gone on too long, but did that for yeah. about four years, yeah. had not been on a, when I say I was single, I mean, not, not a date for four years, like nothing. Oh, wow. Nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, met my now husband through my two gay boyfriends, which answers the question, how are you ever going to be a nice guy if you're only hanging out with your gay boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. There you go. Yeah. There you go, um, mom. They, That's how. They were two, they were and are two gay dads, and their son was in the same elementary school class as great as my now husband, who was raising his young daughter by himself. His first wife had passed away, so he was a young dad Aww. raising. So they were dads, you know, the, raising kids. Um and we met at a summer festival and one of the dads turned to me afterwards and said, so what did you think? And I said, huh? He's like, that's more than I've heard out of you in four years. So he, what, he went on the parent contact list and he emailed Trent and said, hey, you know, just wondering, you know, if you were available, <laughs> to which Trent said, I thought you guys were happy together. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's like, no, I know you're straight. You know, Darren, who we introduced you to. So anyhow, um, two years later, 
we started dating two years later we got married i legally adopted his daughter that was my sideways motherhood and then the year before i met them when i was having a pity party moment i my best friend made me sign up for big brothers big sisters so i was mentoring this little girl um she kind of folded into our family and ended up coming to live with us full time so i went wow never married married with two kids two girls beautiful darren yeah that is that's incredible. Yeah. I, I love Darren that you just kind of created the life that you wanted to. I did, yeah. but I feel like it got created bigger than I could have ever. Oh. It's so much bigger and better. Um, the guy I got is so much bigger and better than anybody ever dated. Um, mm-hmm. The daughters I have, I'm completely convinced these were the daughters I was meant to raise. There was That's no awesome. that I had to have a biological child. We, we all kind of like on this four way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. journey to each other it's um, beautiful i can't yeah, that's so that beautiful oh yeah, so that's, that's, the book. Saying, that's the book that's saying um, man man plans and god laughs yeah, yeah exactly. I know. it really true. sounds like something yeah. that like one of us would make up in a story that's and people would true. be like yeah yeah sure sure i know but it's one of you should write about it one of you should write about it i think one of you well, I mean, do it like in the novel form. On the professional side, along the way, I picked up the syndicated newspaper column and it kind of journeyed, followed the journey of dating, meeting a nice guy, getting married, becoming a mom. Mm-hmm. Like these topics would be weekly. Yeah. Um, along the way, I decided I wanted to be like you guys and become a fiction writer. So I spent two years working on a novel mm-hmm. that was so bad. My book agent like cried. He said, <laughs> 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 I love you, but I can't submit this. This is so bad. Oh and so I, met, I cyber-stalked Kristen and made friends with her. That's how we became friends. Like, would you be my friend? Like, we get my book coach. And she's so nice and so encouraging and gave great tips. And it connected me with an editor. And still, it was bad. And so I'm trying, trying, trying on this novel thing. The new husband's like, uh, what are we doing? We're working on a novel that's not selling. And um, Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, every week I get these emails from these people about my column. And so it was like, hello, this is what you're good at writing. So love book that. possible is 80 of my most popular columns of that awesome. story of yeah. looking for love, finding love, blah, 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 blah. That's so awesome. cool. Well, and before we move on, can you tell us um, about your new show that you're launching mm-hmm. on the new streaming service, Loco Plus? Good news, lady. Yeah. So the next thing is there's a new streaming service coming out based out of Atlanta. Um, and it's the Good News Lady Show. And it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. You know, ever since I left CNN, there's all this content and all these different platforms. But the dream has always been to have the Good News TV show. And that's what um, this is going to be. And so it's launching this fall. Um, some of it's up there already, but we're kind of redoing it and giving it a new style, but it's, it's basically about there is good news and let's talk about it and celebrate it and feel it and hopefully inspire people to show mm-hmm. that you can do good things. It's so cool. I cannot awesome. wait to see it. Yeah. You know, Paula and Darren, both your books have so much in common as do the two of you. First, your books are about essentially trading in what looks like a dream job for a life of true calling which is, of course, a paraphrase of Paula's subtitle. I know a little bit about that personally because I gave up my lifelong dream of being a journalist to strike out um, 
1991, <laughs> so long ago, for a new terrifying life as a novelist. What a mistake. What were you thinking? <laughs> Ended How's okay. that working out for you? going? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I should have listened to my managing editor at the time who told me I would never be a writer. But that's another story. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. We all have one of those in yeah. our lives, don't we? It's always a man. <laughs> it's always a man in a short yep. sleeve shirt. <laughs> Anyway, this is not about me. Um, uh, you know, we discovered when we invited Paula on the show that she's actually known Darren since 1997. You guys, I'm so old that our paths never crossed because I was out of journalism before you guys ever got into it. But anyway, Darren, Paula was your intern at yes. CNNS. Is that right? CNNSI. When CNN and and uh, Sports Illustrated tried a joint mm -hmm. venture, which uh, inevitably failed, it was called CNN SI. And I, I look at this. I actually brought my my card, my oh, CNN card. Oh, oh, okay. I don't think it works anymore. Isn't that anymore. hilarious? I don't CNN think it SI works anymore. It's not going to sure work that's anymore. Not your <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I've always looked oh young. But this was 1997. So my senior year in college, I went down to Atlanta um, to intern at CNNSI. Chris Rose was there, Ada yes. Hammond, um, oh, wow. Darren Kagan. Um, so I was doing a little bit of everything. But uh, Darren, I, I know you don't remember me. Um, you had shorter hair. I was yes. really um, impressed with you because Darren was so like she was just like the epitome of cool, calm and collected. Really? I mean, she'd be like seconds before live. She wouldn't have looked at any of the tapes really or read any of the copy. And she's just going with the punches. Okay. But I have a funny story about your producer and I'm totally blanking on his name. John, he was kind Day. of bald. Day. 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 Okay. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, um, so back in the day before we had like, like now when you edit, it's all, um, it's, it's all digital. It's nonlinear, right. but back in the day you had tape to tape. So you're editing and splicing tape. And so we, I, my um, friend and I, my peer and I, we are tasked with editing tape, editing the highlights for Darren. Mm -hmm. And we, this is just standard at the end of the highlight. Um, let's say that, you know, you've got five highlights on there. You always want to pad the tape out so that it doesn't go to black on the air. Mm -hmm. And we didn't, we didn't pad uh -oh. it out enough. And we went to black on the air. And I remember he was so pissed at us in the control room. <laughs> and from, and, I mean, you didn't say a word to us nice. about it. You, again, you probably don't, you don't remember, remember any of this stuff, but from then on, we put like seven minutes of pad on every single tape. <laughs> so we didn't go to black, but yeah, those are, those were the days where you had to slice and dice your tape. And, but I was so impressed with Darren, you guys, she was just, I mean, like I've been around um, anchors and, and, and reporters for a very long time. And she's probably, she's got to be one of the, the calmest oh. and coolest and most collected that I've been, that I've been around. I was just really taken with her. So. Oh, well, oh that's, that's so awesome. sweet. And um, here you I go. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I looked that. like. This is, I was a little, a, a little chubbier. I put on the, the, the senior 16. 
Yeah, and so, you literally look like a middle schooler. In that I know, I, and I lived in Buckhead at the time. I, nice. I, I, I lived in Buckhead during the internship. I tried sushi for the first time in Buckhead. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, am I, edited, I edited tapes that went to black at CNN as I, I mean, there you go. That's where, so Darren, really you, you, you're responsible for, uh, for everything oh. I've ever done. So thank you. <laughs> but you never, you never made that mistake again, right? I never made the mistake again, I, ever. And so, that's the thing. Like, that's why I say like mistakes, like the greatest yeah. successes yeah. come from your failures, you know? Yeah. That, mm. so. That's a good point. I got to okay. CNN. I was a local news reporter but I reinvented myself as a sports anchor, which is a long story, but that's how I got into CNN. So um, I had done that for a few years and that's mm-hmm. the, at the end of it, because it was at the end of 97, I switched over to news. Um, and I'll share like one of my horrifying moments. So not too long, and I was paired with Bill Hemmer and Bill who's on um, Fox now. Yeah. And um, it was early in the news part of you know being a news anchor and I got a story and I read, and it was um, about Kosovo. And I said, Cassavo. Oh, and no. it was right when the president of CNN had come in the control room and he was this oh, large no. man and he came in the, in the break in the studio. And he yelled, it's Kosovo. I mean, I thought I was going to get fired on the spot. I didn't, but he then he left and I turned to Bill and I I go, that was horrible. And he said, but look on the bright side. And I said, well, what, what could that possibly be? He's like, You'll never forget how to say Kosovo. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Bill Hammer is he's such a nice guy. Like he, he really good. he's he a, he's a great people. colleague. Yeah. He's somebody that it, it, it's rare to ha- to find colleagues that have your back that aren't stabbing you in the back at the same time. Yeah. So and yeah. Bill's one of those. He's a good. Guy. I love yeah. I love the stories about how you had to learn on the job, um, t- how to uh, pivot. But I wonder if both of you ladies would offer some advice to our viewers out there. You guys have done this. You ladies have done this about taking control of your own destinies and finding a truer path to joy. So what, besides how to pronounce Kosovo, Kosovo. Kosovo. <laughs> have you learned that you can pass it on to them? And Bono. Bono. And Bono. That's right. Oh, Bono. Darren, I'm so jealous. That's my one yes. dream interview that I've not conducted. I love Bono. Okay, so Darren, we'll start with you. Yeah. What what are you what's the nugget about finding pivoting and finding your true path to joy besides finding a hot guy? Yeah. <laughs> that I, I didn't even have I always say I didn't even have hot on the list. It, that was like an extra. I'm like, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. So it can it can be bigger than you dream. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he might be listening too. Um, my yes. biggest thing is you can't. The biggest power any of us have is you have the power to choose to be the kind of person you want to be. It's good. And so you can't choose what happens to you, but you get to choose grace, which I'm sure Paula talks about and and carries as a value. Um, you get to choose grace and gratitude, mm-hmm. and when you do that. Uh, Wayne Dyer had a saying, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And you that get is literally on a podcast that I listened to this morning. That was like supposed oh. to be in my life today. That's so yeah. crazy. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and that's the truth. You, you get to decide what your story is. Paula's mm-hmm. um, story could be that she was let, she could tell a huge victimhood story about her mm-hmm. end of ABC. And yeah. that's, it was barely a blip. There's nothing victimhood about it because that's no. not how she sees her story. Yeah. Um, and we, and I could tell you a story how I, my life was 
not re- realize because I never had a biological child. That's not my story. My story is I have the two most amazing daughters because I have the exact mm. children I was meant to raise. That's so I get good. To choose, I get to choose that story. Everybody gets to choose their own story and who they want to be. Yeah, that's How good. about you, Paula? I, I think, it, you know, just kind of um, playing off of what Darren just said, you know, you can create the life that you want in many ways. Um, I, I My big message is that I don't have to do one thing for the rest of my life, but I had to first realize that my tr- my worth and value and calling weren't just tied up into a job. But I it had to start with me realizing that my, my worth and value are from who I am, not what I do, and then giving myself the permission to try new things and to make mistakes and to be scared, to do it scared. Um, you know, I'm launching a company I haven't talked about. It. I'm launching a company end of the year. And it's going to be focused on working moms. And I, for so long, it's something that's been in my heart for about eight years, but for so long, I tried to dissuade myself from, from going for it because for a myriad of reasons, I was busy. Um, I was comfortable in my job. Also, I was scared that other people would see me in a different capacity and would I see myself mm-hmm. in a new capacity. And I just, I'm like, you know what? I don't have to do one thing. If this is on my heart, I'm going to take who I'm uniquely created to be, take take those talents and gifts into this space and do that as, as best as I can and steward it. Um, and it's okay to be scared. Uh, I say like, I have a piece about it and I'm scared about it, but those, those aren't mutually exclusive. So um, fear is normal. It really is. And change is normal. And you don't have to do one thing for the rest of your life. Give yourself permission to try new things. Mm, that's such yeah. a good point. That was like seven well, things. Sorry. Oh, I, I, just reduce it down no, to one. Awesome. <laughs> I so feel like great. I need to get off of here and go do stuff. <laughs> I know. I just motivated. Yeah, exactly. Well, awesome. ladies, you know, just speaking of, of doing new things, you've both excelled so much at bringing good news to the world, which we kind of touched on a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think especially because people will be tuning in a lot this week to the news coverage of mm-hmm. you know, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, there will be the sadness and the sad stories, but I think there will be some focus on the good stories too, the heroes, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the children who've done something to honor a lost parent, the, the family members who are doing things to remember. I think there's a lot of um, heartwarming stories that come out of that sort of thing mm-hmm. also. Um, quickly, because I, I know we're kind of running up, uh, starting to run up against time now. Can you talk both of you a little bit about why it's so important to share good news mm-hmm. and why this is a mission of yours, both of you? Paula, do you want to start? Sure. I just think it's important to to not just tell people what you're against, but to tell people what you're for. And I think at the end of the day, when you just peel back the layers, there's a, so much more that unites us than divides us and just focusing on that. And it's it's really, I, I think it may have been Darren that, that said this earlier, it's really just a paradigm shift um, and choosing, I mean, joy and gratitude is a choice. Um, but I'm I'm big, I'm, I'm an Enneagram 8, if you guys are all into that, but I have a strong wing 9 where I like to, I like to bring everybody to the table, let's talk about it, let's hash it out, but then let's make peace at the end, you know? But... Um, um, I just think it's in this climate, uh, we need joy and we need good news more than ever. And we need to know that there is so much more that unites us than divides us at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. true. And how about mm-hmm. you, Darren? You're the, you're the good news lady. I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I think of you and I think of good, positive, uplifting mm-hmm. stories. Uh, Why is that so you. important to you? Um, it's important. I'm not anti-news. Oh, there goes the hot husband and the dog. Hi, <laughs> hot husband and hot. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Um, he promised me he would take care of the dog for this hour. Um, I don't want to say that I'm anti news. I'm not anti news. I think it is so important to be informed. I just think it's mm-hmm. also important to be inspired. 
That's and so that's funny. why my whole TED talk is about how to watch the news and get inspired. I think if mm-hmm. you watch and get informed with the mission of getting inspired and the mission of what can I do, that gives you a natural boundary of, okay, that's enough. <laughs> I've, I've, I've found out what I, what I need to go do. And I, I've met and seen people that have shown me what's possible. That's great. And um, I think they're both really important. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the main course and the dessert. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good, Darren. That's great advice oh, from both of you. Well, you guys have definitely, I think, inspired everyone, including myself, mm-hmm. to you know change your life and live better <laughs> and all of those amazing things. Um, Christy, you don't do enough. We, you should know that. Christy, more. Slacker. Come on, faster, yeah. harder. Christy's a slacker. Is that what I heard right? Did I hear? Oh my god, yes, twenty-seven yes. hours in a day, right? Yeah. Um, But you guys also, you know, you've brought so much joy to the world, but you're also amazing writers. And we have so many um, writers out there in our audience and us. This is really our selfish time. We want to ask you for a writing tip. So is there any advice that you would give someone who is um, looking into, you know, breaking into what you guys have done? Darren, do you want to start us off? Well, if you want to be like me, don't write fiction. (laughs) (laughs) What were the exact words? It's so bad. I'm so disappointed. It's so bad. Uh, (laughs) I mean, did that just crush you, though? I I I was sure I was going to write this one book and I was going to be, you know, Mary Kay. I was going to be at the beat, turning them out because people would love them. Apparently not. Um, so I guess what I'm good at is writing essays and writing columns. And if that's what and I'm terrible in, at that. So, okay. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. Um, you are not. I, I have to disagree with that. <laughs> I would just say, um, write what you feel, write what you are the most scared of telling somebody. Yeah. And when it's really a big mess that looks like throw up on the paper or the screen, um, go smaller. That's my one thing that I go like, okay, I'm trying to say too much. So look for the smallest thing in that big mess of your writing. And that's probably the nugget that you can actually write about. That's really good. Codency. I'm not good at writing um, fiction either. That's not really, yeah. fi- fiction's not my forte. That's the name of my my book. I like to write about real life and I'm probably more of a quippy writer. Um, and, and to be honest, I had to, I worked alongside somebody for my book. I would send them sample chapters because I, and that's the thing. Be honest about your about your writing experience and what you've done and what you haven't. I yes. I've 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 written news forever and news is like writing for the ADHD generation. You know, get it all in in sixty seconds. So writing a book um, is and the narrative and the arc is so much different. So, um, you know, write to your strengths and also write your write write your passions. You know, I'm I I never wanted to write a book. You guys, I have my friends that have written books have said it's like the worst experience in the world because it's like, it's like, this is, this is my analogy. It's like birthing a child. And then this, this child you feel extraordinarily um, close with, let's say something happened during the pregnancy and you just have this extraordinary connection. And then you hand the, the child over to strangers and the yeah. strangers can judge your child. And so that's what yeah. it's, it's like, writing. It's something that you've literally poured yourself into and then you just hand it over to somebody else to judge. And that's, that was really hard for me, but write to your strengths and write to your passions. I'm writing a kid's book that I'm super passionate yeah. about. And I'm writing a, a, hopefully writing a book. Um, I'm meeting with publishers um, the next couple of weeks, writing a book for working moms. So um, write, write to your passions. I'll be oh, ready to read it. 
<laughs> That's great yeah. advice. Okay. Maybe you could work. Maybe we could work together on it. So there you go. Yes, there's how your all the work in how, how about that? I like that. I like that. Yeah. Okay, Darren and everybody else, please stick around because we have one more question. And Paul, are you going to hang with us for a little bit? I I can. I've got yes. I've got five minutes. I'm actually hosting. Um, the called out book club. I had see that I released the paperback edition of this book and it's got a discussion guide in it. So I'm taking readers through the six week discussion guide for six weeks. And this is week two. And we're doing that at eight 30. So yes, I've got, I know you can have my Instagram page. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, um, if Paula disappears, just know that we, it wasn't us. Wasn't us. Okay. Everybody stick around. We will have one more question for both of these ladies. First, we want to remind all of you to check out our friends in fiction writer's block podcast. Speaking of writer of uh, podcast, we're going to always post links under announcements. Each time a new one goes out, it's a lot of fun. It's totally different from the pod from the webcast. So if you like hanging out with us here, I think you'll love being there with us this week. Every Friday, this past week, our guy, Ron Block, and Kristen talked to S.A. Cosby about his new novel, Razorblade Tears, which is tearing up the New York Times bestseller list. It was a big feature about him in this past Sunday's New York Times. And also this week, we'll have a brand new episode, Christy, Patty, and Ron chatted with Andrea Katz and Christy Barrett about their new, their popular Facebook reading groups. And speaking of reading groups, if you're not hanging out with us yet in the Friends and Fiction Official Book Club, you are missing out. This group, which is separate from us and is run by our friends Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner, is now almost 9,000 members strong. On September 20th, Patty will be joining to discuss her novel, The Bookshop at Water's End. And next week, join us right here, same time, same place, to meet our guest, the one everybody's talking about this summer, Emily Henry, the author of the wildly popular novel, Beach Read, and People We Meet on Vacation. And then in two weeks, our guest will be our friend, Wiley Cash. I know everybody out there loves Wiley Cash. And his brand new book, which is stunning, is called When Ghosts Come Home. He will be live at an independent bookstore in Charlotte, North Carolina, with a live audience for our show. It's the first time we've ever done that. So if you're ever wondering about our schedule, it is always on our Friends and Fiction website. It's always in our newsletter, which you can sign up for through a link on our website. And I know that we've barely talked about this. You guys probably don't know, but (laughs) Patty and Mary Kay and I all have winter books coming out and are partnering with Nantucket Books um, to do a Winter Wonderland subscription box. We were going to do 600 and they all sold out. So we added 50 more. Um, The new... A little free gift is not a coffee mug. It's a really cute tote with um, this custom logo that we had made. Um, And these fun hot chocolate spoons. Um, And there are only about 10 of those left. So if you were wanting a subscription box, um, yeah, I just heard from Tim, we've got like 10. So if you want a subscription box, get on it um, because there are 10 left. So, and hang tight because in just a few minutes, we're going to be announcing this week's merch star on our after show. That's right. Okay. Now for the last question, the one that we love to ask, 
Darren and mm-hmm. Paula. I'm going to go with Paula first, just in case she has to fade on us. Yeah. Uh, Paula, what, what about the history? What was your writing life? What were the values around reading and writing in your childhood? Was your, I, were your family's readers or writers? Not my mom was a big reader. I always gravitated towards Nancy Drew, any sort of mystery yeah, novel. Yeah. And that's what I like. I bet when I think about like when I read today, I have to have a page, a page. Uh, I just have to have a page turner, some sort of thriller. My favorite book that I've read in the last two years was The Silent Patient. I think I ignored my entire family for 24 hours and read it. So but that's what I gravitate towards. Um uh, I, I, I mean, I, I like to read other genres, but thriller, mystery, awesome. that's me. So it's yeah. awesome. And Darren, what about yeah. you? What were the values about reading and writing in your childhood? I would say it was by example. My mom was a big reader. Mm-hmm. She always had a book. So I think that's where I kind of fell in love with reading. And then the reading and writing stuff always came more easily to me than the math and the science. Um. Mm-hmm. And yeah, still, still a reader, reader today. I think my genre, I love my favorite are anything, anything multi-generational. <clears throat> and, um, Sweeping. Mm-hmm. I, don't know where I, I love immigrant stories. Um, yeah. Just, and, and I guess, I don't know if you asked this, but I am a tablet reader now, not a book reader, which is why my <gasps> book. Yeah. Really? Um, I can't read on a tablet. Yeah, because to me that means my books go with me everywhere. It's uh, then my book. I, I have the app and. Oh, um, I like to bend the pages yeah. and like I like to to. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I love the I like idea. To write in them. Like yes, yes, exactly. It's harder to do on a tablet. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so to all of you out there, we encourage you to grab Darren's Hope Possible and Paula's Called Out, especially this week when we need to be reminded of the power of good news right. and our own potential to find a truer path in our own lives. So thank you, ladies, so much thank for joining you. us tonight. It's so nice to have yes, you. Wow, and, y'all were amazing. And, you know, and we're so grateful that um, mm-hmm. that you both opened up. You, I feel like we both, um, you both had so many valuable, wonderful things to say, mm-hmm. and we're thank really you. grateful for that. So fun. Well, we'll this will be to be continued when Darren and I plan our get together. Exactly. Which we're invited to, right? Uh-huh. I love that. that. Is it. If we find oh, out that y'all got together without yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be trouble. Yeah. yeah. Darren, okay. Let's just not tell them. We just can't. <laughs> Nothing on social media. Nothing on social media. <laughs> we will know. <laughs> oh, All right, ladies. Awesome. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Everybody. Thank you. All right, everybody out there, we will see you all in a minute for the after show. You'll want to stick around for this one as we'll be sharing our own memories of September 11th. And Meg, our dear friend and managing director, who was in lower Manhattan that day, will be sharing her memories, too. We would love to also hear your memories in the comments. You know, we all we often go back and read them after the show. um, And we love hearing when you share your thoughts with us, too. So don't forget to come back next week. Same time, same place as we talk with Emily Henry, the author of one of the hottest books this summer. And good night, everybody. We will see you in the after show in 30 seconds. Wow. Ladies. What a show. It really was. They were so introspective and Mm -hmm. they just both had so many valuable, meaningful things to say. They both have done the thing we talk about doing. Yes. You know, 
brave enough to make a change and brave enough yeah. to, yep, they're amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. I saw something this week, somebody uh, wrote on something I posted on Instagram that said, leap and the net will appear. And That's one of my like favorite. Both of them. Oh, I love that. I hadn't heard that before, but oh. yeah. now it's my favorite. I heard it in a Jason Mraz song for the first time and I <laughs> loved it. I never heard it until then. It it's, was a, like, it's a Joseph Campbell thing. Yeah, it's I about that. about the hero's journey and about mythology and about following your bliss and just sorry, I didn't mean Jason Mraz made it up. <laughs> <laughs> we just went bad, like it just keeps. And guess what? He I might not have even been the original. Like it just he's probably funny. originally a Bugs Bunny thing. I was really <laughs> just <laughs> <scary>. <laughs> like something really absurd, and we're like quoting. Oh, it. I love it. Okay, so we have a lot to get to in the after show because I really do want to have Meg come on and talk to us yeah. about um, yeah. September 11th. But quickly before we do that, Christy, do you want to announce our merch star? Yes. So if you guys do not know, um, we have some really fun friends and fiction merchandise. I was going to wear my t-shirt tonight, but I felt like this was like sort of a serious show. So maybe I wouldn't, but, um, we have t-shirts and these adorable wine sippies. We're actually sold out of coffee tumblers right now, but we have some new merch releasing really, really soon that you guys are going to be excited about. Um, but so every week for the next few weeks, we are going to be picking a Merch star of the week. Um, this week's merch star is winning a copy of Mary Kay Andrews' The Santa Suit. So, Sean, can you show our picture of our merch star? Susie Baldwin, our merch star of the week. So, thank you, Susie, for um, being such a big supporter of the show. I know she looks so good. And I like her necklace with the pearl in it. So pretty. So beautiful. amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, yeah. So thank you to all of you who have supported us and worn our merch and um, shout out the show. We love you guys. And Susie, um, if you want to get me your address, I'll get you your special prize. I think you emailed me, but um, you can uh, put your pictures in our Facebook group. You can email them to me. You can DM me. I'm getting them all over the place. So thank you guys for all of your support. This is awesome. Well, congratulations, Susie. That's awesome. And she's such a yeah, great Susie's supporter. Susie's a frequent poster, so that's mm-hmm. great. She is awesome. so supportive. She comes, yeah, to yeah, our, supportive. comes to a lot of our events, too, which is nice. Yeah, she's great. Okay. Um, Sean, would you like to bring Meg on? Would you mind doing that? Hi, Hi, Meg. Meg. Good to see you. Well, Meg, we know you have, we talked a little bit about our stories, although I realized I didn't write it into the script for me to talk about mine. So I'm just being secretive about my 9-11 story, apparently. But um, no, Meg, Meg, can you tell us a little bit about your memories of September 11th? Sure. Before I start, though, Patty, you just said that you're so proud of Darren and Paula for their reinvention stories. I mean, every one of you guys has done the same exact thing. Yeah. I mean, none of you started out your careers as best-selling authors, so. Um, oh, anyway. thanks, <laughs> Well, I think that's why it's so inspiring, Meg. Like, when, when they're talking about it, we're all going back in our heads to those moments where we said, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this, right? It's and, scary. And, and it's scary. And then you hear them talking mm-hmm. about it, and you're thinking, whoa, that really was this, like, dive in the deep end without a – swimming lesson kind of yeah. thing. So yeah. they're really inspiring. So yeah. You did it, Meg. You did it. I mean, you and re- yeah. reinvented yourself yeah. and your career and went out on your own and yep. yeah. the verbal, uh, lemons into lemonade thing. Yeah. 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 And we get to drink all the lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> the best lemonade. Thanks, Meg. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's true. It's true. So Meg, did you want to tell us what you remember sure. from September 11th? I, I was reading your story today on, um, on Facebook and at, like, I just had tears in my eyes thinking about it. I, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's okay. still so raw I, I, and I, it dawned on me before when I, it hits me every year because my daughter will be 20 and uh, in eight weeks. And um, yeah. so when everyone's yeah. like, Oh, can you believe it's been 10 years? Can you believe it's been 20 years? Like, yeah. You know, I believe it absolutely because I, I have a, a marker on my calendar of exactly yeah you know, when it impacted my life personally. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I was pregnant, very pregnant with Grace at the time and um, taking the train from, I lived in Summit, New Jersey, and I was taking the train to lower Manhattan. I worked at Penguin. And so that was on the corner of um, Houston and Hudson. Mm. So after, you know, after everything happened, that Houston street was the, was the demarcation line where you weren't allowed to go back into the city below Houston street. So our offices were closed um, for a couple of weeks after that. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I had been taking a little easy on myself because it wasn't the easiest pregnancy in the world. And I was super swollen and just a hot mess. I had one pair of shoes that fit me. <laughs> it was oh, wow. not pretty. And um, I was late to work. And so I was on the train looking, you know, I took the train from summit to Hoboken and then Hoboken took the path and then, got out of Christopher street and walked a few blocks down. That was my daily commute. And I looked out the window and there weren't that many people on the train. Cause we were like the late goers. We were the lazy bums. And, um, there was smoke pouring out of one of the towers. So that shows you it was, you know, after eight forty six. Um, and so we were all like, what do you think that is? Just talking amongst each other. We all started calling whoever we could. So I called Dave. He was home. He worked from home. And I said, you need to turn on the TV. Something's happening. There's smoke pouring out of one of the towers of the trade center. And so he's standing in our living room on the phone with me watching as I'm watching out the window of the train. And right that second, the other tower got hit as we're both like watching it live. Mm. Yeah. And so he says, um, when that train falls into Hoboken, you need I, like, I don't know what the hell's going on. You need to come home. Like, just get on the train and come back. Chills. I, th- so this is exactly what Paula and Darren were saying. Like you, you just didn't know what it was at the time. And you thought, I thought I've been to work in weird situations before. I've been to work in blizzards and power failures. And, you know, it's not like me to not show up for my people, for my boss, for my employees. So yeah. I was like, no, I'm going to go. I'm just going to go and we'll see what this is. I'm sure it's just some freak thing. And so I got to Hoboken and I got on the path train and the doors closed. And I thought to myself, like, oh my God, I think I just made the biggest mistake of my life because who knows what's happening in the city and how am I going to get back out? And so I was just very glad that it pulled into Christopher Street and that the doors opened and then I walked up onto the street into daylight. But, you know, then then it was what everybody, you know, what you see on TV. I, I don't, there's no point in wallowing in the, like the sights and the sounds of the day. But it was, um, it was a crazy day. You know, I had to, it was really hard to get a phone call out. <laughs> Everybody was worried about me because I was pregnant. Um, Sorry. Wow. Um, so um, the only way to get out of the city in a moment like that, and in a power failure, I mean, you know, terrorist attack, um, is by boat or on foot. So 
the whole day became about like, how is anybody going to get out of here? You know, how are we going to safely get to when I lived in New Jersey? The only way is across the river. The only way across the river is on a boat. And then, you know, I had coworkers who walked hundred blocks or over the Brooklyn bridge and then into the outer boroughs. And um, so I ended up taking the boat home that day, like way later in the day. Um, you know, <clears throat> I had coworkers who had, children working in the towers who had um, husbands, you know. Wow. And Meg, talk a little bit about the people who actually let you get on that ferry. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, it's it's funny, like the weird things I remember about a day like that, because I I always remember the clothes I was wearing. And um, I had on a, all black. And then over the black, I had on like an open button down shirt, which I never would have taken off. <laughs> like, I've, you know, walking around with a big giant belly and a black cat suit. <laughs> um, it was warm <laughs> and I was pregnant. And so we started walking in this big group to try to get to the boat, which was, you know, far. It was, it was a long walk. Um, we had to walk up to like the thirties. So, you know, I mean, if you know Manhattan, it's, that's pretty far. Um, and so there was a lot of people waiting to get on the boat. Everybody, you know, the stories you hear are true. Like everybody was very calm and respectful and um, they were, you know, it was peaceful for sure. Um, two years later, oddly enough, I was also pregnant with my son Jack during the blackout. And that was a different story. People were not very nice. Oh, no. Don't believe those stories. <laughs> um, but anyway, I got to the ferry and, you know, the line was hours long and I had oh. just walked 30 blocks and I was very visibly pregnant. And so one of the people that worked at the ferry terminal um, were like letting me into the front of the line, but I didn't want to go alone. I mean, I obviously wouldn't have been alone on the boat. There were a lot of people, but there were people covered in ash from head to toe. There were people who had, you know, been there in it. And, you know, it was like a war scene. And so I just grabbed this kid who worked with me. He was like 21. I was like, this is my husband and he he has to come with me. And so I grabbed this kid, Justin, and I'll never forget him because, um, you know, he saved himself few hours of waiting online for the boat by pretending to be my husband and my baby dad. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I tend to not like to wallow in the actual memories of it and rather would instead think about like, you know, what, what are the takeaways, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's been a lot. There's been, you know, good ones for, for those of us that were lucky enough to to not Walk be like away. directly impacted that day for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird to be in my shoes because there's a lot of people in my life who like, I'm the closest one they know to who was, yeah, you know, right. to the action. Yeah. To me, I always, there, were, there was a long time after where I felt like I don't, I don't have a story. Like that's not, you know, because so yeah. many of the people that I knew neighbors, you know, friends um, lost people and, yeah. You know, I thought this isn't my like. I don't really have a survivor story, but but everybody Me does. Me too. Everybody. Well, I mean, and twenty years later, when when we watch the imagery and we see the things that we've seen every year for twenty years, people covered in ash, people going for the boat, people walking over Brooklyn Bridge, 
we can forget that it was a person, you, Meg Walker, pregnant with a daughter who's now 20, right? Like there's, we, we've seen it so many times that we forget about, or we can until you tell it again. And it goes back to the person, back to the individual. And of course I'm thinking about poor Dave at home. Oh, I'm worried wow. to death about you. Yeah. yeah. You know, and my mom, my grandmother, like everybody was just a, a wreck and it was really hard to get a phone call out. Yes, so yes. There was a lot of, there was a lot of time that stretched out of where no one knew anything, you know? And yes. um, so, yeah, that, that part was not great. I mean, that was the best reunion ever because yes. I walked to the train from our house in summit and, you know, he knew at that point that I was what train I was on. So he walked across the park to meet me. And it was like lovers across a cornfield. Oh, yeah. like, oh, wow. I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't wait to get back to my people. And then, you know, just, the, you know, the, 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 the survivor's guilt type of stuff of like all people oh, yeah. that didn't have that. And to look at the parking deck at our train station, all the cars that were left. Day, day, those cars were still there and every car has a story you know um, yeah, you're absolutely right yeah. yeah and then you know weeks like I said because work was our offices were closed and this was pre there was no real ability to work remotely then um, oh, yeah. and so the world kind of stopped and we just became obsessed with the news but you know I was going to like um, pre you know no, no what are the what are the the breathing classes that you take when oh, you're pregnant. And I'm like, I said to Dave, like, I, you know, every day you'd watch the news and you'd cry and then you'd open the paper and you'd cry. And I said, like, yeah. I just started to be worried about like, what does grief do to a pregnancy? You know? And oh. then, you know, you start thinking like, what is this world that I'm bringing this kid into? Yeah. So there was so much heaviness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, looking back, there were like really valuable lessons too about like never leave without saying goodbye, you know, never leave the house without saying I love you. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I also think it's really beautiful that, you know, when you were talking about getting on the boat, you were talking about people helping people and, and yeah. being good to each other and people letting you go because, yeah. you know, you were very, very pregnant and, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I don't know. That's one of the things that always strikes me about these horrific stories is that you yeah. also hear these stories of goodness and of humanity and, and of the best of people kind of rising to the surface in, in the darkest times. Absolutely. I mean, and that was all around, you know, I mean, and that was overwhelming in its own way, but um, yeah. it was just really, it's like Mr. Rogers says, right? Like, That's exactly oh, what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> They're always there. Um, and there was so much goodness and there was so much unity after that, as you remember. Yes. Yes. I I think people have this image, people outside of New York um, have this image of hardened, uh, calloused New Yorkers who would step on you to get to a bagel. (laughs) 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 I mean, all of those, I mean, there's such there's such really unfair cliches because I, I rarely had anybody in New York. Yeah. Right. And maybe that's because I present as a stupid rube. And they <laughs> <laughs> <That's> not, <true. laughs> not at all. Wow. That's uh, powerful. 
It's interesting because I, I think another stereotype we have is of the French, right? Like you, you, you think of oh, um, definitely, yeah. You know, French people, you know, in being insulting to American tourists. It's it's not yeah. a stereotype I've ever experienced, but you know that's a stereotype. Yeah. Um, and but um, I lived in Paris the summer after that, so you know, less than a year later, mm-hmm. and I cannot even begin to quantify the number of people who, when they heard my American accent, came over and put an, a hand on me oh, or wow. sque- squeezed my hands. I mean, it, it was pro- it probably numbered in the hundreds, just hearing my accent. People mm-hmm. would come and say, I'm so sorry for what happened to your country because it was so fresh oh, in, in their wow. minds. And um, I will carry that with me always because yeah. it was just... As dark and awful as that time was, I think there was a brief period of time where we were together as a we world. We were one. We were one. I, I mean, I, there was truly, I, I mean, it must have happened over a hundred times where strangers in France would hear my accent and come mm-hmm. over and say, I'm sorry, or I, I hurt for your country, or I ache for you, or how are things in America? You know, it was, and I've yeah. never experienced that since. I've been back countless times. It was just in that window of time afterwards right. where it was still fresh in our hearts and minds. And um, yeah. I don't know, that really meant something. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really interesting. Oh, sorry. Meg, I think you're on mute. <laughs> My dogs are barking. So I, um, I think in the, year, in the years since, um, you know, I would, I would struggle at, like on the anniversary and stuff. And yes. what's the right way to, what's, what's the right thing to say? What's the right thing to do? And it, it's, mm-hmm. for me, it's been different pretty much every year, but like I used to resent, I used to really resent the like, never forget all that. And I felt like everyone who wasn't in it, would say these what felt like cliches cliche Mm -hmm. and I was like if you were there you could never possibly forget but like I honestly softened on that over the years because I feel like you have to show people some grace like everybody has their own way everybody has a story grieving Mm -hmm. and of dealing with a horrific occasion and if for them it helps to I don't know why for some people it helps to show the, the horrible pictures over and over again I just will choose not to look at them. I won't get mad at that anymore. I'm just going to choose not to look at that. But like, you know, everybody's got their own story to tell and their own piece of it. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I had friends who I was with a day who I worked with a day who are like, I don't go on social media on 9-11. I get mad at everybody. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to wallow. And I think, you know, some years that's what you need to do. Some some days, that's what you need to do. Some people, that's what they need to do. So just right. have a little mercy yeah. and a little, little compassion. Yeah. You know what's interesting about that? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Move. I, I was just going to ask Meg if it's any, if it's a coincidence that the daughter you were pregnant with mm. is named Grace. <laughs> you know, I just love that name, but I, I you know, I, hadn't, I never made that connection, but yeah. <laughs> Um, she was the calmest baby too, which I think was just such a blessing because she, I mean, I feel like she came out of the womb just smiling and like Zen in the Buddha pose. Like she never cried. I was like, thank God, I don't think I have it in me to deal with her. In the Buddha pose, none of my children came out that way. Not one. 
Not well, one. I wasn't willing to try it a fourth time. time. Okay. <laughs> it's never too late, Patty. No, it's, it's like beyond too late. <laughs> Maybe my, I know I posted about this, but my son just got a dog. So I have a grand dog and it is a super Zen I, puppy. I love so that post when you were like, people have posted about their grand dog. I'm here. Like, whatever. But I have a Zen grand dog. Does that count? Yeah, yeah. Meg, thank you for sharing that. That is yeah. so yeah, that powerful. Was beautiful. That really I've was. read bits and pieces of it that you've written about, but to hear you narrate yeah. it, like, yeah. whoa, yeah. just like a gut That's punch. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think it helps people to hear some of that. And and I, another thing I was, um, had very mixed feelings about the 9-11 museum and memorial, not the memorial, but the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh I swore I'd never go. I don't need to go. I lived through it. I don't want to see that until my kids were like in middle school and they, you know, they had assignments Ask somebody, you know, who was somehow involved in nine 11, like what their memories are. And so we, we talked about it and they heard the stories and they've heard the stories in bits and pieces over the years. But like when they were both in eighth grade, they did this whole unit on it. And um, so then they were very interested in going to the, museum so we did do that oh, wow i have to you say did. um if for anyone who hasn't been um it's it's certainly not a, a lovely museum experience you're not there to admire any uh beautiful artwork or creativity or you know marvel at someone's talent but um i imagine it's similar to the holocaust museum where it's this it's a very immersive experience it is. and having lived through that day i can tell you they they bring it back, whether you want this or not, fair warning. I mean, they bring it fully back to life. Wow. So, um, you know. That's I, an I, honoring I, though. Just like the Holocaust Museum when I went yep, last night. Right? At first you're like, wait, why would I? And then you realize it's an honoring. Like yes. there is something about. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, like the book you write, Kristen. Yeah. It's an honoring. Yeah. Well, I wish it was a good shot, maybe, but I think, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's an important thing to see. I think if you want to, and if, if, if you know, if you're interested in it, mm-hmm. it's very well done. And um, with the four of us, four of my family went, and um, I think do something very happy afterwards. Like, <laughs> we took a walk over the Brooklyn Bridge on a beautiful sunny day and got pizza in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. You know, try to cleanse your mind after, but um, it is. Um, I, yeah. I'm not mad at the museum anymore. I think I'm not mad at the museum anymore. I think it's an important thing for the future too, because yeah. you know now we have a whole generation of young adults coming who have no memory of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who were either too young yes. or or weren't born. You know, so that's why we thought that museums for them. It's not for people who yeah. may have it. And then you know, but. But then, you know, to go with my kids and have them ask me questions about it and you know, be able to answer it, yeah. it was a it was a valuable experience. It really was. And yeah. so, I mean, I think whatever people want to do, whether they want to go or not go, or whether they want to yeah. tattoo "Never Forget" on their arm, or yeah. you know, post yeah. ugly pictures, like whatever it gets you through the day, I yeah. I respect it. Like you yeah. know, to each his own kind of a thing. Ah, yeah. oh, yeah. woof. 
All right, ladies. <laughs> well, what a powerful evening. Meg, I'm so glad you came on and, and shared that. Thank that you. was just, um, yeah. what an inspiring show tonight. I mean, just. It was. It was I'm going to be watching that again. I was going to say, I'm going to rewatch yeah. it for sure. It was awesome. Yeah, I find it fascinating to hear the stories from behind the camera because you watch sometimes these, I mean, covering Newtown from 9-11 or any of it, like, yeah. you're human, you know, and to think yep. how that. And they have kids. Them. Right. right. You know, I, when I was working for people, I covered, do you remember the Terry Shivo story? She yes. was, on, yes. Um, she was on uh, life, support. Life, life support that her parents wanted to keep her on and her husband wanted to take oh, her off. Yep. And I, I, I was reporting that story for people and you're supposed to stay detached. Right. Um, but it was something that like a lot of cameras were on. And the day that they came out to announce in a press conference in front of the hospital that the, the, the court had ruled against the parents and they were taking her off of life support, um, I burst into tears. I mean, like I, I had just gotten so invested myself in the story, which you're not yeah. supposed to do, yeah. um, which was all fine that I burst into tears, except that I burst into tears on national television. And so <laughs> I immediately got a call from my editor saying, could you at least try to appear impartial? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. so it's hard it's hard when you you know because yeah. as as a journalist i'd be bad at it obviously wait yeah, I'd be I mean, yeah, at I, it. yeah that was that was not my strong suit um meg you're irish we can't help it no <laughs> nothing we can do about it and then we turn all red and our faces get all red oh yeah. i get blotchy I, yeah i get blotchy it's not pretty <laughs> I've never been able to cry pretty. No. no, no, I'm the worst crier. And like the most obvious crier too. It, it, if I had been a subtle crier, nobody would have noticed, but it was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think um, any of us are subtle anything to no, be honest. Right. I think that sums it up. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why this is the right career for us, where you can be with your heart, right? Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Ladies, you're amazing. All right. I love you guys. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks to all of you out there and, and stayed and listened. And good night, See ladies. You next good night. Week. Good night, See you next Thank you. Everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.